0: Christmas shopping's great at Woolworth Blank cassettes from EMI with vouchers for the cinema Or a food mixer free speed will stand and bowl A Polaroid 1000 it's a self-developing camera A home pack unit look what it will hold Just put it together folks This race and chase game isn't tame And Simon's a computer game If He's handy and a driver this is fine There's a Christmas gift for everyone in Woolworth Christmas time Everybody needs Woolworths. Thank you, we let you know. The greatest folk are wearing identity lockets. This cabinet for handy men will score. The latest razor from Gillette with swivel head. They're as yet and sing faster, but my lips are getting sore. When it happens. A baritone clock radio, Chevron records, prices law, and music, music, music all the time.
1: Everybody, Everybody needs a Woolworths
0: Christmas time. You cut me off! Operator! Operator! Welcome to GoonPod. Uh, now, if you're listening to this podcast the day it goes out, which is the 8th of September 2021, then it is exactly 100 years to the day that Ned of Wales himself first entered the world, uh, no doubt blowing a raspberry. So in honour of the Seacomh centenary, I thought we'd mark the occasion with a very special episode, which I'm calling A Century of Seacum. Or the nittyversary of course. The Nettiversary. That's a better title. Thank you. Uh, as you will have heard, I have a guest. Uh, he is a TV and radio scriptwriter, uh, an author of more than 50 books, many of them on the theme of humour. And he has collaborated with Griff Reese jones on a multitude of projects spanning 20 plus years. He, he's also in the process of doing that rarest of things, writing a book about the Beatles. It's Mike Haskins. Hello, Mike. Hello, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me on your lovely
1: podcast, which I've been enjoying very much. Lots of excellent guests, all incredibly well-informed. That all stops today,
0: of course. And it's going to be an extra short episode this week, folks, I think. Uh, (laughs) Mike, first of all, obviously, as you know, I'm a big comedy fan, but my favourite sketch show probably is, it's not Monty Python, it's not not the nine o'clock news, it's I'd say it's probably Smith and Jones.
1: Yes, it was a good
0: show, so
1: I got a few bits on Smith and Jones. And I just sort of really got on there just as it was sort of ending, so I, I saw that off, and then uh, yeah, Griff's been stuck with me ever since. So I've assisted on assisted him on various projects since. So we did a radio show. We've done some kind of documentary programs. We did a quiz program on BBC Four a few years ago. That didn't last very long, and recently he's been he's been touring the halls. With his um, his one man one man live show, which is which is well worth seeing if you get a chance, because he has got some amazing stories. Whether it's you know uh, uh, cleaning the uh, the windows on skyscrapers in New York, or um, <laughs> at the time he was um he had to feed the uh, the sacred crocodile in the uh, on the Torres Strait Islands. And the, uh, the director said, you know, just a bit nearer, Griff, just just a little bit nearer. Put one <laughs> foot in the water. Yeah, it's OK. So, so, yeah, no, he's got a lot of amazing stories, which he keeps pulling out.
0: And, um, yeah, so it is a good show, hopefully. People seem to like it. Before we dive into Harry, um, just quickly tell me about your Beatles tome that you're working on. I have been
1: working on a little book of um, guiding people around um, Liverpool and Merseyside and all the sort of sites where the uh, the, uh, the Beatles came together and they grew up and uh, all these sort of things. And there are many books of Beatle history, I realised, this will be the first one of Beatle geography because I don't think people realise what a kind of strange, sprawling city Liverpool is. Mm. And, you know, to, to walk from John Lennon's front door into the city centre is going to take you the best part of two hours you know, wow. It's not that, that far out. Yeah. Because uh, it is just such an oddity, um, Liverpool, because there's just all these little bits to it. Okay. So there we are. Excellent. People do not realise.
0: See, I would have thought, if you'd asked me, I would have said, oh, they're probably all, all four of them live no more than a quick three-minute stroll from their Absolutely. front door to the Liverpool city centre.
1: Yeah, because, of course, only one of the Beatles is actually from anywhere near the city, and that, of course, is Ringo, who was brought up in the Dingle. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so that is... Uh, again, it's it's not that near. It's it's a little bit of a stroll, but uh, yeah, John Lennon, Paul McCartney are way out in Walton and Allerton. Walton, of course, is you know quite a, you see a picture of it, you think oh it's a rather nice little village in the in the Cotswolds or somewhere, <laughs> sandstone village. But uh, that's where John Lennon was brought up by his auntie Mimi.
0: Wasn't there a famous fate that occurred in Walton in 1957? <laughs> I've
1: never heard of it, um, <laughs> it was the uh, the 6th of July 1957. Uh, yeah, so that is when they are meant to have um, uh, to have met at the Walton Village Fate at the field behind the church there and there's that famous photograph of John Lennon with the quarry men and Paul McCartney was invited along there. He had a friend called Ivan Vaughan. Mm. Ivan was at school with John Lennon when he was little. And uh, he had the house directly behind John Lennon on the next road, Vale Road. And uh, when it was coming up to the time to go to secondary school, I think his mum told him, you know, you're not going to that um, Quarry Bank school with John Lennon because he will just mess around. You won't get your O levels. So she sent him instead to uh, the Liverpool Institute in the city. So he had to get on the bus and go all the way into the city every day. And that's where he met Paul and became great friends with him. So he was the guy who introduced them. um, So it was down
0: down to his mum then?
1: Down to Ivan Vaughan's mum. But then, uh, of course, the interesting thing about Ivan Vaughan is that uh, he then got his O-levels and possibly his A-levels as well. He went to university and he worked for a time as the doorman at the establishment club, the uh, Peter Club, uh, the club satire hysterical nightclub that Peter Cook uh, set up in what the early 60s so he was working there uh yeah so he would have known Peter Cook before you know <laughs> the rest of the Beatles did and and of course beyond the fringe um were recorded by George martin for palmerphone so they were four young lads who uh, changed the world in their uh-huh. own way as well uh-huh. uh, a year before the Beatles a year or two before the Beatles
0: yeah yeah. yeah.
1: so they were. It, it's all connected. It is the world of the Goons and um, Beyond the Fringe, The Beatles, Monty Python. It's all a continuous thing. They feed
0: into each other, don't they? They,
1: they certainly do. Yeah.
0: So talking of the Goons, obviously, you know, today is a is a, a an episode very much focused on um, the larger than life character that is Harry Secombe. But there wouldn't have been Harry Seekin without the Goons. Um,
1: Absolutely, I think that's very. He is. As Neddy Seagum, he's the central character, really, isn't he? In in the stories each week, yes. And um, and I think just personally, Harry Seagum, he just brings this immense energy to the programmes, and he's just very cheerful. You know, the kind of plucky, ever cheerful British hero idiot, and yes. the whole thing revolves around him. And you know, even you know, he's the one. Get you know, Nedy Seagoon is obviously just a jokey twist on sort of Harry Seagoon, You
0: know,
1: yes. so, uh, uh, so, I think, so
0: yeah. sometimes it's it's in the in some of the earlier series, occasionally he'd be referred to as Harry Seagoon.
1: Yes, which is even closer. So <laughs> yeah, you know, the sh- the show is unthinkable without him. To... He
0: is the heart. He is the glue that keeps it all together. And any time you see him interviewed, he just seems the most the most warm, happy. Uh, inclusive individual uh, and he's got this infectious giggle and I can imagine that you know he would he'd be touring during the week and then getting back to London to record The Goons on a Sunday he'd turn up at the theatre you, know, you know he'd probably be knackered because he's been working all week and he's been mm-hmm. away living out of a suitcase but he he would turn up and he would just you know walk in the room and light it up and you'd get, you'd get Spike turning up and he might be in a bit of a mood one week and or Peter might be in a bit of a mood. But, you know, I'm sure that five minutes with Harry and the mood would have lifted. There's going to be no side to
1: him. I, I think, you know, it's reading about him, that really does seem to be true. He just seemed to be a genuinely nice man who everybody likes. And, you know, he always had a good word to say for everybody, uh, for, for anybody that he met. And, um, yeah, just a very nice man to, to have known. Uh, yeah. But when I was growing up... Uh, of all the goons, he was the one that I was probably most familiar with uh originally because he was the one who was never off the flipping telly.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Harry Seacum Show.
1: You know, mm-hmm. because they had the uh, the Harry Seacum show. So, you know, this was sort of the early 70s that I remember. And um, you know. Uh, his enormous great face would be filling the screen with these great gurning reactions which is what you want on telly so <laughs> you can react like that and he just looks very you know kind of up very cheerful and of course uh, in those days he had these great big um hairy sideburns as he did say, uh, yes or, or sideboards as we call them at the time like <laughs> bits of wooden furniture stuck to the side of his face um so yeah just very expressive very jolly and um yeah, that's the sort of person you want on t- Forget all these beautiful people. We want people like Harry Seacum on you know, Somebody who visibly enjoys himself, which oh. is always a good thing to say. And yeah, you know, yeah, he's a great laugher, isn't he? A great he giggler, is. enjoys a good laugh, seems like very good company.
0: Oh yeah. Let's let's put a let's put a, as I say in modern parlance, let's put a pin in the Harry Seacum show for a moment, because I'd like to know uh your history with the goon show itself in terms of how you first came to it how you first i, I gather you're probably in your what your late 70s so you my late you're, 70s yes yeah, that's right. you may <laughs> yeah, have heard it no. first time round. uh no um
1: I, <laughs> I i'm getting on a bit but i'm not quite so old that i can remember the goon show but i do remember in the early 70s which is when i got into it i was about 10 and um it was about the time that uh, you know, Mascoon Show of All had been on, mm-hmm. so I missed that. So, uh, and that, that I suppose because that was you know, there's quite a, a thing about that at the time. And then you had the script books coming out, and um, Harry, as I mentioned, he was on Teddy, so I knew him. Sellers, obviously, you knew because you know, the um the films would be popping up all the time. And the other thing that we used to have every week was uh, the Pink Panther cartoon show, which obviously Sellers is not really connected with, but uh, it did have, you know, a sort of Inspector Clouseau-like character Mm. in the middle of it. So I remember that, and a lot of horrible strawberry-flavoured pink, Pink Panther chocolate, which we seem to have in in abundance for some reason. So, uh, yeah, so we knew Sellers. Um, Milligan, I think I started collecting all the little books you could get very cheaply at the time, Dustbin and Milligan and so on. So I knew him from that. Benteen, last week, I think you were talking about uh, Potty Time. And, mm, um, yes, indeed. Which I remember coming on the telly. But the year before that, so round right about the time Les of all went out, he'd had a show on BBC One called uh, Michael Benteen Time, which I quite liked. I can't remember a huge amount about it now, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, so I think my... My mum told me, you know, all these people, you know, they were all together in this thing, The Goon Show. And that, that sort of, that piqued my curiosity. And, uh, yeah, so I had to get the script books. So that was really my first introduction to The Goons. Mm-hmm. And after, so I bought that without ever having heard the show. But uh, just, you know, I just got into the history of it. I was just very interested. All these sort of big names have been together in this, this programme. Uh, started buying the script books. And then it was shortly after that that... Um, it was when Leskin chevall went out that he had them on Parkinson. The episode of Parkinson that was so good that they released it on a vinyl LP. <laughs> and it, was, it was available for years afterwards. So I, I used to get that in the record library. And uh, you just can't imagine now, you know, Graham Norton doing a show. and it was so good. So, Graham, so good. I think we ought to release it on a record. <laughs> but uh, they... You had that one. There was another one with Sellers, wasn't there? There was another Parkinson one. There was uh, yeah, a few there years was... later, and they released that on an LP as well. It's just unbelievable. But um, I think it was also the time that um, sort of BBC Enterprises got going because previously you'd had the Goon Show going out on the uh, on uh, Parlophone, and um, so yeah. So in the wake of these scripts and all this kind of interest, then you start having Goon Show classics. So, you know, I started buying all those as they came out, yep. and they started repeating them on the radio. So, uh, yeah, so I'd stand by with my little cassette recorder and uh, tape them every week. And now those are all um, in a box just through there, and uh, I don't touch them because they will just fall apart if I try and play them again.
0: Mm. But the, the the good thing is that today, in you know, twenty twenty one, you can pretty much listen to most of the existing Goon shows on. Things like Spotify, on BBC Sounds, it's also accessible. The
1: quality is too good, I think. That's the problem. What you want is a a kind of really terrible, cheap old cassette. That's the only way to really appreciate these (laughs) things. The the worst sound... the worst sound quality that you can get um yeah that's what we quested after yeah that's quite true now you just have the whole thing is available to you more or less yeah but um yeah back in the day these things were very precious you know they sort of turned up once in the blue moon and uh, you know you collected them and uh sort of built up your thing that way uh, you know and then we heard about um a friend of ours who had um a collection of even older repeats that he'd you know, that had been recorded sometime in the 60s. So we had to go over there and get copies of those. And, and let me show you, they were even worse quality. So um, <laughs> you know, I've still got all of them. It's terrible.
0: Yeah. I mean, I used to record them off the radio. Um, some people I know would would record just by putting a microphone up to the, 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 the radio speaker. And I then definitely you'd... did that because, yeah, sometimes,
1: you know, the proper recording equipment uh, down here was not available. Right. So, yeah, drum, Drums Along the Mersey, whenever that went out, <laughs> they repeated that in 1976. I, I was up there with the... Uh, uh, which I quite like, because we're quite near the Mersey, because you know, that ends with... Um, uh, with what screen say telling you... Um,
0: well, now, here is an announcement for listeners still wondering why this programme was called Drums Along the Mersey. While the... Um, and program was being broadcast there were in fact several drums beating along the mersey <laughs> those with their windows open may have heard them
1: well <laughs> we did have our windows open and we are near the Mersey, but we did not hear them so.
0: uh, lying lying again yeah. the bbc yeah fake news if you had a microphone propped up against the, the radio speaker you'd, you'd also be recording you know your dad as he walked in the room asking, you of know, course. where the newspaper is or whatever. Um, there's there's the, there's the old, um, there's there's the precious few, what, two episodes of 1952 Goon Show existing. And they're in terrible, they're terrible quality, terrible recording quality. But, you know, what do you expect from 1952? But they've obviously been recorded uh, directly, uh, you know, off the radio with a microphone. And, and at one point you hear someone's mum walk in the room um and say i don't know what she said but you know yeah richard have you brushed your teeth or you know something like that and that woman has been immortalized that yeah? is what you want uh, it's funny all those
1: little extra bits that you would get around the recording the end bit of the news you know what was on the news that day yes so all those years ago and those are all kind of strangely fascinating when you go back to them
0: yeah. yeah so harry where do we want to start with harry so it's a shame that you know
1: two of the guys in the Goon Show we know quite a lot about Milligan and Sellers. You know we're, we're sort of very interested in them, but there seems to be less when you start looking. There seems to be less around about Harry. So mm-hmm. I know there's a bit of a bit of a shame that um, yeah. in a way that he doesn't quite get the attention that he deserves. Uh, you know, there's there's no kind of major online uh, site. You know doing an episode breakdown of Highway, unfortunately.
0: But, uh, mm, mm. Maybe and, later in... Yeah, you'll be, you'll be waiting a long time for the Goom Pod <laughs> episode covering yeah. Highway, believe me. <laughs> oh, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> I think you should have one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I suppose the thing is that Seacombe does the Goons and he doesn't really do another comedy show after that. It's just not the way his career turns out he sort of mm. goes with the flow I guess but um you know I just think he's, he seems such a nice easygoing sort of character from what I can make out you know just a very stable person because uh he meets his wife in 1946 just after the war he's pretending to be a Canadian I think the story goes he's at a dance and he meets her he's pretending to be Canadian because he thinks that will impress people for some reason <laughs> um and, you know, it's just rather lovely. They're still together, you know, up until when he dies in 2001. And um, yeah. Myra only died a few years ago, 2018, aged 93. So incredible, really. Oh, but, uh, yeah. There's ra- rather a nice, sweet story in um, Andy Seacombe's book, Growing Up with the Goons, that uh, uh, after he's met her, he, they, they arranged to go on a date and uh, he... Uh, he, uh, he asks her to uh, go to the cinema with, with him. So the next day they go to the cinema and he hides behind a pillar, waiting to see if she'll turn up. And he's, uh, he's there waiting behind this pillar and uh, there's no sign of anybody. And uh, yeah, the time comes and then uh, he's still hiding there, he waits, waits till you know 10 minutes into the film. And God, no, she's not coming, is she? So he comes out from behind the pillar and she comes out from behind the pillar opposite. You know, she'd be doing exactly <laughs> the same thing, waiting for him to see if he showed up. So, you know, that's rather, rather a
0: sweet story, isn't it? Well, those, um, uh, those were the days when he was slim enough to hide behind a <laughs> pillar. <laughs> it might have been quite a large pillar. <laughs> we don't know.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, and after the war, he's the one of them who, uh, who gets on the radio first, I think. Uh, mm. so you know oh in fact even on the telly he goes on the telly first sort of in the autumn of 1946 the television had only come back on that summer and uh he's on a program later that year uh and from that you know he's, he's on at the windmill theater and he, he owes it all to that shaving routine of course which uh mm. which we've heard a lot of stories about so yeah so he developed that in 1943 when he was in the army which is a great little sketch, you know, for a one-man thing, you know, you've just got the props easily available. And, uh, you know, we, we we know the routine, it's sort of, you know, demonstrating how different people uh, shave at a young boy, you know, who's, uh, who's just sort of messing around, um, a young man who's, who's shaving for the first time, a, a soldier who's got to shave using freezing cold water. And so he develops this a brilliant visual act which just sort of really works with you know his kind of um, his uh, you know his face reacting to things, and that seems to be the act that sustains him that gets him everywhere, and yeah, you know, it's, it's just a really nice little idea of a performance thing that you can do just one man. Uh, so that, as far as I can make out, that's basically his act for years. Plus, of course, the singing, you know, because yeah. uh, we we know he can knock out a tune, and uh, it sort of reminds me a bit of um, what was what's his name, um, Donnasdale. In uh, it ain't half hot, but (laughs) you know the the little round guy with the glasses who built out a tune. Yes, Mm. lofty. Uh, So I suppose he's a bit taller than Don Astell, but it's (laughs) that sort of thing, isn't it? And you know, obviously, he can just sort of naturally
0: sing so well. I I I, I don't think Harry ended his days knocking out his his self-published autobiography out the back of a car in Tesco car park that's
1: true isn't it yes, mm. <laughs> oh yes I forgot about that but uh after the war uh you have this thing called central pool of artists of all these kind of uh performers who've sort of congregated there in uh, in Italy somewhere near Naples and I think that's the first time that you uh, get him on the bill with uh, with Milligan in a mm. show called Over the Page and uh there is a programme from that that I think you can see online. and Harry's right at the top of the bill. It looks like he's, you know, top of the bill there. And mm-hmm. uh, Milligan's there down at the bottom of the page as part of the Bill Hall trio. Well, they, they become a big thing as well, of course, when they, they get back to London. Um, but, yeah, so yeah, he carries on with his, uh, his shaving routine. I think that's what gets him on at the Windmill Theatre. So he's on there October 46. He gets on the BBC and... It's just a very successful career from that point on. And I think that's the point where he gets drawn towards Grafton's, Jimmy Grafton, who runs this pub, as we all know, where they yeah. all sort of uh, begin to congregate, Benteen and uh, Milligan, of course, and then Sellers. He remains very close with Jimmy Grafton all through his career. So uh, Jimmy Grafton is well, his manager and his agent and his scriptwriter. And that sort of carries on right through. You know, we talked about these uh, Harry Seacum shows that he had on the telly in the sort of uh, 60s and 70s. So always Jimmy Grafton is the scriptwriter. Mm. So I don't think Jimmy Grafton did a huge amount else apart from you know, eventually. I think it, probably his aspiration was derived for lots of other people. But uh, in the end, I suppose all his energy was then put into Harry's career. So, in a way, that relationship is. Sort of really key to harry's career it seems you know it's sort of sustained he worked longer i suppose
0: you could say with grafton than he does with with milligan and sellers yeah well it, well, it shows loyalty on harry's part as well yeah uh, but you could argue that he was probably certainly for the first half of the 50s he was possibly more prominent uh than sellers probably yeah probably earning more money than sellers as well at that time anyway
1: that's possibly true until Sellers' film career really takes off, mm-hmm. which I guess is sort of late 50s and then into the early 60s, where it really goes into the stratosphere. But, um, yeah, I mean, Seekham has his own show on the, on the telly by, what, 55, 56? Yeah, 55, This is his first, um, you know, sort of starring TV series mm-hmm. and Spike guests on that, and Sellers comes on um, a little while later yeah so he's on all those things so yeah it's interesting that uh, he is he is um plowing his own you know he's following his own path there isn't he
0: well he's not he's he's a comedian he's a comic but he's got more than one string to his bow because he's got the the singing as well
1: and yeah.
0: and i gather that you know he got professional training in the 50s i gather his teacher yeah, sort of thought urged, very highly of him. Yeah, it's a uh, thought that he, you
1: know he could become literally one of the best tenors in the world.
0: Yeah, and, and essentially said, "Look, ditch the ditch the comedy, ditch the laughs. <laughs> you know, just uh, you could make a lot of money. You know, just just by being a straight singer." Yeah,
1: and he didn't yeah. want to do that.
0: He wanted to combine them both. Or he wanted to continue with the comedy, but obviously, you know, music was still a huge part of his life.
1: Yes, so uh, yeah, I mean, obviously. He had a long successful career, so really had it both ways, didn't he? And you know, uh, he didn't go into sort of straight opera or anything like that. But he does then get after the Goon Show. He just has this uh, phenomenal six, success uh, in musicals, and uh, it's sixty three when he uh, when he opens in this musical Pickwick, which I have never seen. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we can see it really very easily because um, Pickwick. Was obviously put together in the in the wake of Oliver, Lionel Bart's Oliver, which had been a huge hit. Obviously, we all know that one. Um, and Pickwick, which was uh, uh, put together by some different people. Leslie Brickus, I think, is the is the one we yeah. particularly know. And uh, Wolf Mankowitz wrote the uh, the book mm. Pickwick, as they said. And he'd written The Millionaire's, the screenplay for The Millionaire's, right. a couple of years earlier for uh, Sellers. But Pickwick is a huge success, and he does that in 63. So uh, he's what then, in his early 40s, he's still doing that show into his 70s, in the 90s. So uh, just, you know, whenever there's, whenever there's not much in the book, you know, just get Pickwick out again, <laughs> and it's going to go down a storm. But unfortunately, unlike Oliver, which was filmed in 68, which Seacum gets a part in that, doesn't he, as Mr Bumble, um, but Pickwick is not turned into a into a big film. They do a TV version, but that's sort of that's difficult to get hold of. And you've been trying, but um, it's yeah, not turned up yet. I,
0: I have I have uh, I have contacts. I have people who who, who know people who know people <laughs> who have been trying to track down a, a copy of the BBC BBC film of uh, Pickwick from sixty nine, I think it was, or seventy. Yeah, um, but it's uh, no joy so far, but it, that would have been fascinating to see that. It would.
1: So yeah, so that, that show, you know, huge success in Britain It takes him to Broadway as well.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here is the English star of Pickwick, Harry Seacombe, in a scene from his hit show. The role of Sam Weller is played by another brilliant London performer, our friend, Roy Castle, and here is the scene. Oh come on, sir! You can't back out now. Can't I? You watch. <laughs> look at that. No, come on, sir. You'll be all right. Don't worry. You've got the face of a politician. Have I? Oh. Yeah. Now what you haven't got, sir, is the perambulations and the gesticulations. A what? See. Well, if you'll pardon me, sir, your walk—it's all wrong. See? Now you walk like this, don't you? I do not. Where do you get that idea from, boy? Now the political gentleman, sir, he has to look busy, see? Yeah. So he walks like that. That's Try really right, that. I like sir. that. <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> Davy Jones from The Monkey says he was in that as well. Obviously he was the artful dodger as well. Mm. But he reckoned well, he must he wouldn't lie, would he? He says he was in that with uh, with Harry. And that's that's really what sort of got him attention in in America. And, and so of course um, in, in
0: the monkeys. Pre monkeys, I mean what Davy Jones was at the Ed Sullivan Theatre.
1: He is um, he's on the Ed Sullivan show the same day as the Beatles, isn't he? So mm. No one missed that. So, uh, and that would have been with Oliver, I think, not with Harry Seacombe. So, uh, true, yeah. And wasn't he um, Ena Sharples' grandson? <laughs> Do you know what? I don't remember that. I've told that all through my... Yes, Davy Jones was Ena Sharples' grandson in Coronation <laughs> Street, wasn't he? Yes, I believe that's true. Yeah. 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 Also, the, the, uh, just as soon as we've sort of gone on to the Davy Jones podcast, because... Hmm. Um, the interesting thing is because David Bowie was Davy Jones, wasn't he? As he well, was. yep. And he had to change his name to David Bowie, but I think he did that before the monkeys. It was because Davy Jones was already a big name,
0: oh, you know? right, okay. Yeah.
1: But uh, okay. then he always had the line, you know, they, they're not going to make a monkey out of me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, We might come back to David Bowie later in our conversation, by the way, for for a rather oblique reason. But uh, anyway, Uh, so so where are we? We're in the what mid '60s now. Um, Yeah, yeah. yes.
1: As as we as we hike through uh, Harry's career, but (laughs) yeah. So, like I say, you know, it's the Harry Secombe show which I particularly Mm. remember, and he'd sort of been doing. You know, it's listed in some places as being a comedy show, but uh, it was not a sketch show. It was a variety show. And it was uh, the sort of thing where, you know, he comes on, does a few numbers, does a few songs, and he will have lots of guests on. And the guests tended to be the other people who had shows just like that one Mm at different times of the year. So Scylla would be on as a guest. She had, you know, the Scylla Black show. Lulu would be on. Val Dunigan, the man who knits his own jumpers, (laughs) uh, he would be on as well. Nana Muscori as well, of course, you know, of course. Get she must have been on. So Sellers and Milligan don't remember them being on um, at the BBC uh, Harry Seacombe show very often, but they did crop up one Christmas, I think it was about 1974, in a show called, wait for it, Sing a Song of Seacombe. And uh, this was on, you know, sort of uh, just after Boxing Day or something. And in that one... Uh, They just do a sort of, I don't know, sort of candid camera sort of thing where they're all sort of dressed up as, you know, tramps or something, you know, Uh, and they're out on the street in Oxford, Oxford Street in London busking and Spike's got his trumpet and um, I remember my auntie uh, saying, uh, do you think anyone will recognise them? And I think, yeah, they probably will recognise him. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's Peter Sellers, you know, the well-known Hollywood star, and um, Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe, and they've got a big film crew with them, presumably. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, ha-
0: and Harry Seacombe's quite a distinctive looking fella.
1: Yes, yes, you're not going to miss him. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, the traffic has been diverted around him, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so, but they didn't really sort of crop up on... But it was the sort of toehold on... You know, mainstream television, you know, he was the one, Harry was the one with the, uh, you know, the peak time Saturday or Sunday night show on television at the time. So, uh, you know, obviously Sanders, is a big film star, Milligan's not going to get a big show on BBC One, um, unless it's the melting pot. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, later in the series, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, now uh, yeah, Harry Seacole was the, the one there, so he's sort of you know the way in, and of course he would always be you know cropping up on these uh, programs, Parkinson and uh, so on, and um, he was everywhere at the time, just a huge star.
0: This is an ideal moment for me to uh, to show that I've done a little bit of preparation, a little bit of research, because uh, because by the early seventies, Harry was probably. He was Mr. Light Entertainment. He was he was at the apex of his career, I could I, w- I would argue. Um, he was making dozens of records. He was performing on stage. He was appearing in films occasionally. He, I'm sure he was turning up to open wings of hospitals. But he was on TV a hell of a lot in the seventies, mm. you know, as you've already alluded to. But what I did was I just I thought okay I'll take a random year and just uh, just you know through. Uh, the, the wonder of the internet just find out you know what tv what, what he was doing uh in, in that yeah so mm-hmm. i chose 1971 when he would have been yeah 50 thank you mm-hmm. by the way you know what we've neglected to, to mention so today is harry's 100th birthday 8th yeah. of 8th of september
1: who else's birthday what is it today
0: but it's only peter seller's birthday as well peter
1: seller's birthday of course yeah because uh, Sellers sellers yeah they shared the same birthday and mm. Sellers would be ninety-six again in the Andrew Seker book. Uh, there's uh, oh, there's a very sad story about um, Seeker on his birthday. Do you know this this story? And he's uh, celebrating obviously Harry's got all his family having a lovely you know birthday mm. celebration for Harry, mm. and then he thinks oh, it's Peter's birthday as well, and uh, so he finds up uh, Peter Sanders, who's he, in Switzerland or somewhere, and. Uh, he comes back you know there's just been having this very happy birthday for harry and um, he comes back he's in tears because um peter sellers was all on his own oh. on his birthday so that's a rather sad story oh, and uh, the fact yeah. that it moved harry so much even at that at that time yeah uh, but i'll tell you what's even potentially sadder than that because it, it was at the time he was married to lynn frederick so yeah. i am wondering if that was in fact his last birthday because if his birthday's in the September, if it's September 1979, yeah, he didn't yeah. live to the next one. So that, so I, I brought the mood down slightly there, yeah. I'm afraid, that yeah. but that's uh, But yeah, so it just shows you that, yeah, they were born the same day. They shared the same birthday. And um, yeah, and still Harry went out of his way to uh, to give Peter a call and was, was very moved to find uh, Yeah. So yes, that is a show. But then Sellers did seem to go a little bit odd towards the end.
0: And the beginning <laughs> and the middle. <laughs> yes. So let's look at this year, 1971. Let's look at what Harry was doing on the old uh, Idiots' Lantern. So 71, he appeared on a number of editions of Stars on Sunday. Believe yes, it. Or Stars
1: not. on Sunday, I remember very well. Mm. Have you ever seen an episode of Stars on Sunday?
0: No, I've seen a, I've seen a the goodies parody at once. <laughs> Stars on Sunday, listeners, was. Um...
1: It was like the ITV, I think it was made by Yorkshire Television, wasn't it? And it was the sort of religious programme on Sunday night on ITV. And it was, as the title suggests, Stars on Sunday, it was presented by Hmm. this guy, Jess Yates. Do you know all about Jess Yates, Tyler? Yes, you yes do. I do, because yes, he's yeah. Paula
0: Yates's supposed yes. father, is that right? Well, yeah,
1: that's right. So Jess Yates presented this program. I think he was sort of sitting at an electric organ. It's just amazing. This is what we watched in the seventies, and uh, you know they would have hymns and so forth, and they had amazing guests. So on, this is the funny thing about it is that they would have these people on, like uh, Bing Crosby, Mm -hmm. Princess Grace of Monaco, these sort of names, and. It's a religious program, so we're just going to pay you the absolute minimum. So, you know, Pin Crosby gets paid something like 49 quid for appearing on Stars. I don't know if that's quite. Did they, a, um,
0: did, did they get the really big stars like uh, Derek Beatty? I don't know. <laughs> they,
1: they, no, it was all bigger people than that, wasn't it? It, mm. it was the Shirley Bessies and, uh, you know, just the idea of getting, you know, these Hollywood, sort of getting Princess Grace out of retirement and. Um, but th- this is the the way the story goes: is that you know he would attempt to pay them because I think he was probably the producer of this show as well, Jess Yates, uh, and he would try and pay pay them the absolute industry minimum on the basis that this is a religious program, so you know, you're doing God's work here, so mm. you know yeah, sure. you don't expect to be paid for it. But of course, yeah, then Jess Yates, there was some terrible scandal where he'd run off or you know he, he was found to be having an affair with uh, you know a young floozy you know so uh, yeah he was uh, forced off there so uh, it then carried on without him paul yates was meant to be his daughter but then it turned out through dna testing she wasn't his daughter whose daughter was she
0: right i want to say huey green it was huey green yeah huey green uh, it was all going on up there, wasn't it, in
1: Yorkshire <laughs> Television at the time? Huey Green and Jess and you know a rather sad story. 48, Yates, of course. With, but, you keep yeah. you, you keep bringing this down. Mike. I know, I know the tragic stories of the world of show, but not with Harry. No, not no. with our man so, Harry Seeker, so who is always up and always cheerful. He's and, always um, he's always always blow a raspberry at adversity. <laughs>
0: You'll never see him with a frown. No, you uh, do, and you know I don't think it was
1: put on. I think it was
0: genuine. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. So he appears on a number of editions of Stars on Sunday over the years. I looked on IMDb. He must have appeared on fifty plus episode. He must have had his own key to the. Stars on Sunday, executive lavatory. Well, of course, we know uh, what sort of flowed from that. Ultimately, it was
1: you know the entire latter half of his career in the, the God's Not Television. Mm-hmm. So you know, this was a wise man. Again, probably you know maybe engineered by um, Jimmy Gray, but he's perfect for that, isn't he?
0: So and uh, he also guests on a, uh, a wildlife series called Wildlife Spectacular, which yes. I which I want to which I hope had a exclamation mark because it just sounds like it should have.
1: Yes. Yeah. Everything had an exclamation mark in those, mm. of course. Um, what on earth could that have been? But the idea seems to be to mix celebrities
0: with wildlife. <laughs> they put Harry in a paddock with a tiger. Yeah.
1: Um, well, well, that's it. Yeah, well, that's it. Um,
0: it was David Bellamy. From what I can find out, he presented it. Yeah, it must have
1: been a very early thing for David Bellamy. Right. To, maybe that's one of the first things he did on TV. Oh, I, I sort of remember him sort of coming to the fore sort of later, but yeah, maybe that's yeah. I um, where he started, perhaps.
0: My earliest memory of Bellamy was uh, he used to be on a program with Dr. Miriam Stoppard and Magnus Pike, and it was called oh, yeah. um, and it was called something I can't remember what it was called, but it it had the same theme tune as or well, the theme tune was by uh, the Dutch prog rock group Focus. Focus, yeah, and, with and tears when Lear yeah? possibly. <laughs> and the theme tune was later repurposed for uh, Steve Coogan's sitcom Saxondale. Oh, gosh, I know the one you mean. Yes, mm. yeah, what is that called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it Hocus Hocus Pocus? No, 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 Hocus
1: Pocus is the one with the yodeling. That yeah, is, now, sorry, now it's, listeners. Um, we are going down a Dutch prog rock <laughs> in the theater,
0: in, in, the, the in the theater of the king or something.
1: I don't know. The, oh, I, yeah. No, I, I definitely know the one again. It's got a flute on it. Yes. Um, well, they all did, is... didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, let, let us draw a veil over that. Uh, Harry, also in 1971, he he gets his own... Well, he is the subject of a one-hour Michael Aspel special called An Hour with Harry Seacum. Very good. Um, he appears as a, as a guest on The Vera Lynn Show. Of course, uh, he he's on Christmas Night with the Stars that year because, of course, he was because that's got you. You wouldn't you couldn't call it you couldn't call a show Christmas Night with the Stars and not have Harry in front and center. Really, oh, yeah. um, it, he was he appeared on the British Screen Awards. I'm not sure in, in what capacity. Yeah. Uh, he was on something called the Festival of Entertainment, hmm. um, which I gather was was showcasing international variety acts. And I don't know what he was doing, whether he was a guest or a presenter or possibly doing an act, possibly doing a shaving act. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, He was even on The Golden Shot. Mike, do you remember The Golden Shot?
1: Shot? I I, I certainly do, with
0: Bob Monkhouse,
1: Bernie the Bolt, Mm -hmm. a show in which which ordinary members of the public were given charge of crossbows and had to fire them at targets (coughs) in order to win prizes. Yeah, an excellent programme which ran, ran for many years. Yes. Bob Monkhouse, Norman Vaughan, Charlie Williams, then they got Bob back again.
0: He also, that year, he was in this yeah. ha- half-hour short film made by Granada oh, co- yes. called uh, Mr. Tumbleweed. Right. We don't know a huge amount about this, do we, Mr. Tumbleweed? <laughs> No, um, other than the fact that the the on IMDb, which is I seem to be spend all my life on IMDb, but the synopsis is a boy discovers a string puppet which comes to life.
1: Right, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> Pinocchio was still in copyright at the time. That's that's uh, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but it was it was notable for the fact that among the cast was a very young actress by the name of Katie Manning.
1: Right, yes, there we are. So her springboard into Doctor Who, because she was in Doctor Who shortly after that, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. John Pertwee, with Harry's old friend from the radio, John Pertwee. Um, uh, get, it, yeah. get, it, get it right, John Pertwee, surely. <laughs> <laughs> is that how he pronounces it? It, is. it isn't. No. It isn't. John Pertwee. Um, Bill Pertwee in Dad's Army. Michael Pertwee. There was a lot of Pertwees around at that time. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, Michael Pertwee, wrote the book of the other great 1960s Harry Seekham, uh musical, The Four Musketeers, which is the one he does in about 1967. And when you see the goons doing um, Tales of Men's shirts, is that the one they do on ITV with the uh-huh. as the yes. announcer? And he's got the little sort of goatee beard. <gasps> oh, and that's, yes. that's because he was in The Four Musketeers at the time. There you go i wondered um, yes. about that mm. so yeah so which was not a, which was you know obviously banking on having another pickwick but i don't think it was i think it lost money and just sort of kept going because you know
0: harry was so popular absolutely uh, getting back to 71 because i've been remiss i completely forgot I and mean, we've been talking about it already of course the harry seek show
1: of course um, it was never off the telly
0: no so in 71 it's into its third series let me just uh, let me just get my notes here because I'll, I'll just I, I made a note of about five or six or seven or eight people that were guests on the seventy one Harry Seakim show series. Okay. Uh, man reaches for paper. Um, okay. So we got you. You got your Dick Emery.
1: Yes, old friend from um,
0: yeah back in the day. Back in the know, day and uh, Graftons and everywhere. Uh, and appeared in the Goon Show once or twice. Yes. Uh, oh. You've got Beryl Reed. Beryl Reed, yes. Beryl Reed, Uh Hattie Jakes. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Barker. Uh, right, Ronnie. Uh, the, the famous uh, thespian who liked to tipple, uh, Nicole Williamson,
1: uh-huh.
0: who, uh, who appeared uh, as the killer in my, one of my favourite Columbo episodes. It's always a pleasure to present a new and exciting talent on my show. And tonight, we have a young soprano from the Covent Garden Opera Company for whom I predict a great future. Here to sing Puccini's lovely aria, bel sogno di Dareta is a beautiful Kiri Tikanawa. Also uh, on Harry's show, Kiri Tikanawa, in, in yeah. a very early appearance for her, yeah. uh, oh, the obligatory Shirley Bassey, yes. and the Carpenters. Right. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because um, there's that photograph of them all
1: in Grafton's. And a lot of the people you've just mentioned are in that yes. picture, aren't they? Yes. Um, well, Nicole, Nick, Nicole Williamson's at the bar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he might be underneath the bar, but uh, Beryl <laughs> Reed is certainly in there. Yes. Uh, Dick Emery's there, obviously. Yes, he is. Uh, is Hattie Jakes in that picture with Eric Sykes? Maybe. Quite possibly. She might be. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's all. So it it all comes back to Jimmy Grafton, I think, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's now Grafton connection.
0: And also in 71, he found the time, how he found the time, I do not know, Mike, but he found the time to film a short sequence for the uh, Graham Stark film, yes. The Magnificent Seven Deadly Sins. Ah, yes. Um, but while we're on the on the subject, and let's look at this for a link, look at this for a link, while we're on the subject of Harry appearing in a feature film. Yes. You, you and I both watched a film.
1: Uh yes. Really, that's the main thing we were going to talk about today, isn't it? Harry's um, first big film starring role. Mm. Uh, Yeah, he was in a film called Davy, which came out, what, early 58? Did you find it?
0: Yes, it was uh, January 58. Yes.
1: And, uh, yeah, so this is the one we've particularly been looking at with regard to Harry, because it's an interesting thing. I can't remember ever seeing it on the telly before. Uh, so we've both had a look. And this was the film that was going to launch his film career. And it's the last of the Ealing comedies. So um, if you know all those kind of things like um, Whiskey Galore and Passport to Pimlico, yeah. the titfield Thunderbolt and uh, the Lady Killers, of course, with Sellers. Mike, uh, uh,
0: I strongly suspect listeners to this podcast will know what the Ealing comedies are. Of course they will,
1: (laughs) (laughs) just in case there's anyone who's just been born. But, uh, yeah, if you see a list of them all, then the final one in the list is Davy with uh, Harry Seacombe in Uh 1958. So obviously obviously they got to that point and thought, that's it. We cannot top this. We've Mm. got to get out now. That's the end. (laughs) Um, This is not actually what happened, listeners. Um, It's a bit of an odd film, Davy. But... um, I suppose the thing about it, watching it, is it is just great to see Seacombe. It's lovely it to see him. Mm. Um, there he is, large as life, in full colour. We even see him without his shirt on at one point. Steady, ladies. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, we were trying to work out, weren't we, exactly when this might have been filmed? So it's sometime in 57.
0: Davy, played by Harry. Yeah. Uh, Turns up at the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden, and outside the building, there's a poster with uh, January 1957 very clearly marked on it. And right at the
1: beginning, there is another poster. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're experts on the posters in this (laughs) film. Um, Right at the beginning, you see a poster on the side of the music hall, and that says December 56. So, yeah, it suggests it's sort of early, early in that year. So, that is round about this. Around uh, about the time of the seventh series of Goons. Yes. So that's the one which ends with histories of Pliny the Elder. It comes out very early in fifty-eight. Then, and then you said it gets mentioned a few weeks later in the in the show.
0: Yeah, case. yeah. Uh, I've I've mentioned this before on the debut episode of Goonpod when we discussed the Goon Show, the man who never was, because there's there's a point in that episode when Milligan, kind of, it's clear he's just it just popped into his head. He just sort of mutters into the microphone don't forget Davy, folks it's a good film <laughs> uh, and uh, so you wonder what was
1: going on you know how successful had Davy been up to that point
0: well yeah because it will have been out for about maybe six weeks by that mm. point and I'm wondering mm. whether that's that's Milligan just trying to sort of drum up a bit of,
1: yes, a bit of publicity. a bit of interest
0: a <laughs> bit of interest yeah.
1: So, uh, just to explain the plot a little, mm. uh, in case people haven't seen it, the idea in this is that Harry plays uh, this chap Davy Morgan, and uh, Davy is part of this comedy group, this comedy team who've got a crazy act. Uh, and uh, but Davy gets an opportunity to go straight, and he gets an audition at the Royal Opera House to be, you know, like a straight opera singer. But that then causes tension back with his comedy comedy group back in the theatre, because it could be the end of their careers if he goes off and becomes a success all on his own. So it's a little bit like a sort of X Factor audition or Britain's Got Talent or something, uh, but stretched out over a whole whole feature film, Mm. Uh, at Mm. which point people might be thinking, this all sounds rather good. So Harry is in a crazy comedy act, so are the other people in his crazy comedy act, is there a guy who can do sort of amazing impressions and lots of voices and characters? And is there another one who's like, you know, some kind of comedy genius who's always coming up with these amazing ideas and jokes, but all the pressure is causing him, you know, some sort of mental problems. Is that what happens? No, that is not the sort of comedy group that Harry is in, in this, uh, this film. Uh, it's quite different, isn't it? It's not really a sort of goonish, comedy act. It's more of kind of very kind of uh, traditional slapstick act. Well, Harry, and, um, Harry's,
0: Harry's got aching shoulders from carrying the rest yeah. of the, the Mad Morgans, as they're called.
1: Yes, that's right. So his group are called the Mad Morgans. They play a sort of variety theatre, a sort of musical place. And the rest of them, apart from Harry, I would say are not, are not the most amusing of characters. You know? um, so you've got also in the group with him, it's all a family act and he's got his sister in it with him, Gwen, and she's sort of an attractive blonde woman. You've got her husband, George, who's um, sort of chiseled jaw, you know, sort a very handsome 1950s sort of leading man, sort of typical leading man sort of character. And yet all the jobs he could get in the world of entertainment, he's decided to
0: become, you know, a member of this sort of chuckle brothers act. Uh, and, and he's very much, in that in that act, he's very much third or fourth banana as well, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Why, uh, why are
1: they doing it?
0: Because they do not look like they're enjoying it, particularly. No, no. And, and, and regarding George, I, I wrote on my notes as I was watching the film, I just wrote, George is an arse. <laughs> <laughs> because he is. But uh, well, he, he is there to cause trouble.
1: And, you know, there's a lot of friction between, uh, between him and Davy, because he's the one who really gets the hump that Davy is going off for this audition. And that, uh, you know, the, the rest of them will be left high and dry. And so they actually come to a bit of a, a physical, you know, a bit of fisticuffs almost uh, at one point, don't mm. they? Yeah. You, see Harry, physical uh, with you see Harry angry at one point. Yes, that's right. He Pushes him up against the wall, doesn't he? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there's him in this group. And then also you've got Uncle Pat, who's like the old fella,
0: mm.
1: played by, um, what is his name? George Relf. George Welf. And he is the dad of the man who directs the film so the man who directs the film is Michael Ralph yes doesn't doesn't direct that many films in
0: his career he's
1: mainly a producer is he and uh yes right yeah. designer but, um, but he was
0: he was kind of him and Basil Dearden who was the producer of this yes film they worked a lot together. in fact they one of my probably my third or fourth favorite film ever um, is the 1960 League of Gentlemen right film. yeah of course so
1: the whole team, um, you know, although we, you know, we slightly sort of, uh, in, in case we sound slightly off about uh, the comedy act in this, uh, but the team we put together, there was nothing wrong with them. So, yes, it's uh, it's Michael Ralph and it's special Dierden and, and the writer is William Rose, who is the guy who wrote um, the script for The, uh, the Lady Killers. Yes. Uh, before that, Genevieve, so, you know, all sorts of amazing films. A so really good writer. Mm. And, of course, then... As far as I can make out, the next film he does after this is uh, it's a Mad 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 World. Uh, the other member of the uh, the Mad Morgans comedy team that we haven't mentioned so far, slightly um, out of nowhere, slightly unexpectedly, it's um, it's Compo from Last of the Summer Wine.
0: It genuinely is. Well, it's not Compo, but it is Billowing. No, you're not saying that uh, Compo Simonite, as a younger man, was a <laughs> member of the Mad Morgans. No. Maybe this is all where it <laughs> went downhill for him after this. But um,
1: Eric is a very serious. I mean, he's good, Bill Billowing, but he's very serious. Yes, he, he sort of trails around after Davy. The idea in the film is sort of that everyone looks up to Davy. You know that he's uh, just uh, just just this character. Who everybody, you know, Kenneth Connor is always running in to sort of try out his act on him. Kenneth Connor well, sort of plays a sort of comedian who's on the bill, and he's got this routine about. Shooting
0: a moose. <laughs> God, no, kill, killing a moose, just generally. Uh...
1: His, his killing a moose routine is not going to rival Woody <laughs> Allen's killing a moose routine, I, I'm afraid. <laughs> but uh, it does add just a moment of liberty, because it's quite a serious film in many oh. ways. It's The reason it seems so odd to us is because you've got this very kind of slapstick act. You see them do their act on the uh, the musical stage at one point, and it is that one about, you know, the really bad decorators and they're getting paint everywhere and then they start throwing paint over each other and pouring it down their trousers and putting buckets over each other's heads and all this sort of thing, people falling over. It's that sort of act which I'm afraid doesn't really seem to play particularly to um, to Harry's strengths. I mean you know it, it's you know, maybe a Norman wisdom or somebody. Yes. But, uh, I, I, I don't know, it just didn't seem like for some reason they, they had not not uh, paid you know as much attention to the comedy act as perhaps they should have done so it looks quite old-fashioned the act to us i think it but does the, the audience in the film love it in this this one they've never seen anything like it they're laughing away it's it's absolutely hilarious But um, oh the yeah.
0: the audience are all about it yes it's handsome david morgan star of stage screen and labor exchange <laughs> thank you i should like to start the proceedings tonight by singing for you a well known melody entitled Please don't burn our house down. Father has promised to pay. Thank you, Charlie. By the way, this film, just a warning, this film, uh, no animals, as far as we know, were harmed in the making of this film. Although there is a chimp drinking Coca-Cola.
1: Yes, Harry gives a chimpanzee a bottle of Coca-Cola in the film, which um, I don't think we approve of these days. I uh, Mm. I suppose they didn't know in those times. But uh, yeah, so again one thing you see as as Harry is sort of passing through this um, backstage area is all the different acts on the bill, and so one of them is this guy with his his chimpanzees, Mr Winkler and his chimps, and uh, Mr Winkler is not the Fonz, but um, do you know who Mr Winkler was? He was Andre Marley, I think the actor was called, and the interesting thing about him, Tyler, the interesting thing Mm -hmm. about this actor that we have never heard of before, Very fine actor, I am sure. But his mother-in-law's brother was Sigmund Freud. So that's, that's quite an oddity, isn't it? So, um, so uh, yes, yeah, Andre, right. I think you are having uh, strange feelings about your mother-in-law. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, yeah, so he would—I don't know what relation that would be. Um, so Freud's, I don't know, uh, nephew-in-law or something. Uh, he's the man with the chimps in the uh, yes. Harry Seacum film Davy. <laughs> uh the other, the other member of the family, uh, of course, that we haven't mentioned is little Tim. Oh. So he, Gwen and George's little little son. And there's all these um, I mean, it, it gives Harry some very, you know. Very nice little
0: scenes where,
1: you know, who was that man, Uncle Davy? Why is everyone angry, Uncle Davy? Well,
0: so, he, he, watching him, it makes you but, wish they'd reinstate the workhouses,
1: have, yeah, them, have them working
0: so. in a blacking factory or something. Um, yes, but, but again, an interesting person is playing yeah, that role. Yeah. Who is it, Tyler? Young Tim, little Tim, was played by yes. Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton,
1: the guitar player from Humble Pie, Frampton comes alive the show me the way hitmaker no 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 not that no, peter frampton no not and, that, and no,
0: not no. not that peter frampton that also went to school with david bowie
1: no of course of course there's david bowie again
0: yeah uh, um no this is a, a different, different peter frampton different there are two because
1: you wouldn't think it's that common a name but yes so he's peter frampton he is the son of the makeup guy in the film isn't it i think
0: uh, harry frampton yes that's right and then uh, little Peter grows up to follow in his dad's footsteps and becomes a, a, a renowned uh, makeup artist on feature films and wins uh, an Oscar for Braveheart.
1: He wins an Oscar for the makeup on Braveheart, mm. even though that's just what a blue rectangle with a white <laughs> cross across it. But um, yeah. so, yeah, so that's really good. So he is the Oscar winner in this film, Little Little Tim, played by Peter Frampton.
0: Do you think Bill Owen won an Oscar? I must have checked that. I don't think he no, did. No, no, <laughs> no, maybe he did for "Last uh, of the Summer Wine" the
1: movie. But um, I'll tell you what, which uh, I'll tell you what would actually make um, Little Tim's um, <laughs> Little Tim scenes slightly more interesting if only he spoke with Blue Bluebottle's voice. Or whatever, <laughs> I think uh, the, the,
0: you know they could have got Sellers to play that role. That would have been good. But um, <laughs> the premise of the film. Is that it? You've got this this hoary old variety act, family act that that's been, looks like they've been doing it for seventy years or more, because uh, Davy's mm. dad and Uncle Pat began it back in the day, and 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 I gather it's kind of more or less been the same act for decades. And then Harry, yes. Harry, <laughs> it looks gets, like it. Yes, uh, Harry gets the opportunity to go and audition at the Royal Opera House. Because he's because he's got yeah. such a fine voice, and the others, particularly George, the others in the act, um, they they see their backside, pretty much. They're they they're put out by this because, let's face it, you know Harry is the the one with the talent in this family, yeah. uh, and if he goes, yeah. then then they're pretty much unemployed. So, but but Harry uh, Davy, I should say, Davy and Tim, they uh, they go to the Royal Opera House and. Uh, Davy sings that song that Pavarotti made popular. Um <laughs> Dorma uh, and Tim, little Tim, little cack-handed Tim, somehow manages to uh, make all the scenery on the stage where where Davy's yeah. performing uh, fall over. over
1: all the backdrops on the stage at the Royal Opera House. So
0: this is total disaster. And yeah. so then they have to do a runner, don't they? And yes, and the and the sort of the what is he the theatre director, the musical director? Oh yes, uh, this, Sir this Giles. Sir Giles played played by um, Control from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, Alexander wow. Knox. Uh, yeah,
1: you can tell in this film that he's very arty and he's very important because he's got a funny little beard just on his chin and no other facial hair. <laughs> yes. So um, you know, yeah, he's definitely you know some of the extremely important. He is. He's he's. he's Perpetually angry, as well. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Because uh, yes, but very polite as well. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, another character we we didn't mention earlier on who crops up. Uh, he doesn't even get credited, is uh, the young Bernard Cribbins, mm. who's there working in the theatre with uh, mm-hmm. with Harry. I think it might be the man who winches him up. <laughs> yes. This is an odd thing because his family are really worried. He's going to go to the opera house, he's going to do this audition, and everyone's going to see, oh, you can be a solo singer, off you go. But when you see them do the act in the theatre, the first thing in the act is Harry sings a song all on his own, Davy. Harry in the film sings the song all on on his own, and uh, the others are not involved in it. What's so he's already a solo singer,
0: mm, mm. and
1: um, and
0: uh, and, he, and he and he can
1: hold a note, can't he? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you know, we see him sing this. Who wrote that song, Tyler? Did you notice who co-wrote that song?
0: It's someone who who sort of uh, flitted in and out of Harry's life occasionally, I believe, uh, Jimmy Grafton.
1: Like Jimmy it. Grafton. <laughs> so he doesn't get to write the screenplay of the film like he did on um, Dynamo Among the Zednet. Yeah. But uh, he does get to write a song in the film. And uh, yeah, so it's, you know, a nice sort of uh, song for Harry. But he sings that at the end. A sort of straight song, not a comedy song. But then at the end, his, uh, his bow tie starts revolving. You've got to have a bit of mad comedy put into it, haven't you? Uh, his bow tie starts revolving. And then he's sort of winched up into the uh,
0: the rafters of the theatre by, I think, the young Bernard Cribbins. Yeah, And, and, and when he goes on, when Harry, when Davy, Runs on to the stage at first before he's you know to sort of warms up the audience or does has a little bit of banter with the audience, and at one point um, he says uh, he mentions stars of stage, screen, and labor exchange, which yes. which made me prick my ears up because that's uh, lifted directly from the goon show scratch. Very good, well spotted. Mm. Yeah,
1: so yeah, there's not a lot you know if you go to this film expecting a bit of goonish humour you will probably be a bit disappointed, I think. I mean, you know, you've got Harry, and he is sort of funny with the people around him, but really, you know, the, the, the uh, dramatic scenes in this are not sort of comic scenes. You know, you compare it with the Lady Killers, where it is a dramatic situation, but there was still great humour in, in these great lumps, you know,
0: pretending to play uh, violins and what have you. Um, and so everybody, was... everybody in that theatre, by the way, seemed to on a regular basis, touch Harry for a fiver.
1: Yes. Again, this is a thing in real life, isn't it? Because you watch this film and it is like somebody, <laughs> Jimmy Grafton, had a checklist of things <laughs> that uh, they wanted to put in about um, Harry Seacombe. These are the things you must know about Harry Seacombe, you know, mm. that uh, he's he's funny, he's always joking, he's a really nice man, he's in this crazy comedy act, he gets on well with children, he gets on well with animals, everybody likes him. He's uh, he's lending out money to people whenever they need it, <laughs> which, which he genuinely did, I think, Harry. The story isn't there, he's at some kind of... Um, show and people need to get home for Christmas and they're they're a bit stuck so he gives people the money to get Mm. get themselves home so he was a nice generous man so it's sort of making all these you know there's all these things they want to say about Harry Seacombe you know plus you know he can belt out a bit of light opera um, and those are all sort of crowbarred in and then the plot is kind of shaped around these things Rather than actually starting, you, know, you could make a great film with Harry. You could make a great Ealing comedy, you know, you know, where where he is, you know, somebody sort of working his way up from um, whatever, you know, he's somebody working on the docks in uh, Swansea or something, and you know, he's some, he, a sort of Billy Elliot sort of story. Mm. You know, you, you can mm. see that sort of thing yep. working
0: for him and
1: funnier. Sure. So you yeah.
0: know, yeah, because because the film's all over the place tonally, uh, and and I actually found the end quite disappointing, and it's a, this is a spoiler, but the film's, you know, face facts, the film's over 60 years old, folks. Um, it ends on a, what I, I mean, it, it ends on what that it, it seems to think of as an upbeat note, but I see it as a downbeat note, certainly for, for Davies, for yeah. the character of Davy, because because Davy gets offered a job with uh, the, the Royal Opera Company, yes, uh, and he basically says, thank you, but no thank you. He says, uh, I've decided I'm going to stay you know stay as part of the mad morgans and prop up my worthless leeching family yes. <laughs> uh for another for, you know, for another 10 years or so um and and he's and he also he seems quite happy about that as well
1: yeah um, yeah because I, I suppose the, the the moral is family loyalty which again that works for Seekham in real life doesn't it mm-hmm. but uh, yeah you're quite right in terms of davie's career you know, the rest of them should be, you, know, you go, Davey, there's nothing for you here whatsoever. <laughs> you go and become a big, you yeah. know, then they can all reach off him in a different way when he's become, you know, the biggest oh, yeah. uh, opera singer in the world.
0: Uh, listen, I'm glad we watched it. It's, it is, it's, like you say, it is an odd
1: mix. At some point, it's it's sort of very, very silly, sort of slapstick humor, And at other points, it's just very sort of angsty sort of drama. You know, you hurt her, George, and I'll hurt you. You know, it just becomes very serious yeah, at
0: the it, it It's lovely to see Harry Seekham, 1957 era Harry Seekham in Technicolor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and look, Mike. Uh, I, I'm conscious that uh, you know we've we've been talking for quite some time about Harry. So, so yeah. So, obviously, happy birthday, Harry! Happy hundredth mm-hmm. birthday, wherever you are. Um, I'm assuming he's up there and not down there.
1: <laughs> of course, he is. He is up there with um, all the other stars from Highway and um, Stars on Sunday.
0: Well, what what would you say is is uh, what would you say is Harry's legacy?
1: Yeah, Um, obviously it's the good show obviously you know that's just uh mm-hmm. i suppose for us the biggest thing that we can see uh obviously also as a legacy he's got his family who still you know still love him dearly and remember him um and you know that's just great that he had such a stable kind of uh home life as well yes yes yeah and uh, he just had this amazing career going through all those years it's just i suppose the career beyond the goon show although He's huge and like you said, you know, he is just on all these things on the television and the BBC, such a big star. But it is the sort of career where once he's gone, it sort of fades a bit, you know. Mm. It's it's that sort of thing. So thank goodness we've got things like the coo, which sort of you know, keep his kind of spirit and uh, and everything alive for us. But um, I suppose the main thing is uh, would be his uh, services to raspberry blowing would really be uh, his great oh, yeah. legacy. And mm, um, mm, mm. Uh, so I think you know we should all end. We should all end with a big raspberry for Harry Seegar. Well, you
0: end with a big raspberry. <laughs> no, no, I won't do that. Let, let's not say that.
1: Let's not say
0: that. No, so, uh, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, yeah, the goons, um, he was the. He was definitely the heart of the goon show. Um, no one else could have played Neddy Seegar. I don't think. Yeah. He, 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 he was unique. He was a one-off. Um, the nicest man in show business. Uh, and, yeah, I just think that an hour spent in his company would be would be delightful and uh, it really would
1: if you had to spend an evening in the pub with one of the goons i think you know your, your evening with with harry would would possibly be the one with the most laughter wouldn't it i think so. it'd be the least complicated evening you know you wouldn't so. take a turn you, know?
0: you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be on pins every moment worrying about yeah. you know saying I mean, the wrong thing wonderful though it would
1: be to meet any of them in yes. person. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, Harry was just clearly very good company. And, uh, yeah, what you see on screen, what you see even in this film, Baby, you know, that really is him. You know, he is a nice, generous, loving, warm-hearted man. So, you know, yeah. I think that's a very fine legacy indeed. And we
0: should have yes. more of that sort of thing. Indeed. So thank you, Harry Seacon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Mike, Uh, thanks for listening, see you next time, bye!